When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. You're listening to the Auburn Express. Powered by the Wall Report. All aboard the AM departure from platform 334, the Auburn Express. We're running on time and expecting no hiccups. Doing the work, hard work, to bring you the best Auburn sports content you'll find anywhere. What's up, everybody? It's your man, Ike Jones. We are back. I know it's been a minute, but the Lob Town podcast is back. I'm here with my guy, Auburn Memes, and we are doing a quick wrap-up on the Auburn basketball season. It ends against Houston, round two of the NCAA tournament. Let's get into it. Let's talk about it. Memes. Auburn kind of disappointingly, you know, ends the season against Houston in the round of 32. Uh, But, you know, what we want to figure out is how do we get here, right? Like, let's go all the way back and let's talk about preseason expectations. Uh, Then let's take a trip to kind of midseason trends. And then let's just do a full retrospective on all those things. Uh, Let's start with the preseason expectations going all the way back overseas to Israel and what we thought of this team initially. How are we feeling about it? All right. Well, luckily, I'm a hoarder, like a digital hoarder. So I got all the box scores for the Israel games really, really close. And you just can't Google those. You got to, you really got to know where to look because you don't find those on ESPN. They're not on Auburn's website. But we're committed we to find what we out do. ESPN might not be the most accurate source for your information, just FYI, but continue. We would have started recording probably 15 minutes earlier had we not found some discrepancies. So my folks looking at ESPN, just be careful. There, there's some sticky uh, spreadsheet errors. You've been warned. But flying this episode, flying this content back overseas, let's go to where we were for the preseason outlook. How were we feeling? So I'm going to kind of insert myself, put us to the mood of where we were, set the dates back on Twitter to last summer and feel the optimism. So just kind of from the surface, thousand-foot view of what we were thinking for this team and this roster, where our optimisms were, where our pest, you know, where our pessimistic thoughts were, our fears. Let's start. I think everybody was feeling really, really strong, including the War Report episode where you guys were betting on the highest score from Israel, and it was a broom Wendell Treor debate. Mm-hmm. I think you guys ended up was it did you guys end up settling on Treor to be the, the leading scorer? I said Janai Broom, if I'm not mistaken. And I Room, think, okay. um, so Mike might've said Mike, Treor. I think Mike said Treor. Yeah. Yeah. But I mean, I think there were the two leaders. So it was in, in hindsight, good, good pick there. So, but I think everybody was really hyped with Treor. You got a last minute flip from LSU five-star guy. And there was even talks of this team of, Hey, could he be a one and done type guy? You know, maybe a similar deal to JT Thor. You're not going to have as much of a season as Jabari, but is the NBA going to fall in love with this dude's potential? Mm-hmm. Going back to chance, some talks of that too. I think a lot of people are saying, ah, you know, there's a lot of guards on the team. He'll play 
for a year, make a big impact, probably come back, have a strong sophomore year, and then he might kind of explore the waters of the NBA or the G League and so on. And then from there, the question marks, of course, were how are Wendell and Katie and Zepp going to jive and mesh? They had some definitely some of that guard inconsistencies. There was a lot of guard flack throughout the year. Right. Bruce said, after Miami, we're going to build this team around Jalen. A lot of hype of what Jalen's role was going to look like on this team. It's a deep bench. You got a seasoned Cardwell coming back. You've got a sharpshooter with Berman back there as like a eighth year walk on super senior stud who'd been playing in Israel all summer. He was basically playing on his home court. Simo, you know, he decided to stay. A lot of people were sleeping on Chris Moore, thinking he was going to transfer. What was he going to, what was his role going to be on this team? Because there was a lot of chatter about how much he'd been getting in there to play. And then Flanagan, was he going to be back to his sophomore form? Is he going to be back to old Flanagan? Or is he still going to be, is that Achilles? Is it, is it physical? Is it mental? Where is he with that? A lot of question marks around this team, but I definitely think there was a lot of reason to feel optimistic. And as you kind of heard by my little review there, a lot of emphasis going to be on the freshman. I mean, hit Trey Donaldson. I think he was the biggest wild card. People say, nah, right. he, he could definitely come and make some sparks, but he's probably going to be the guy, which is an ironic flip here. He was probably going to be the guy that would probably see the floor the least, yeah. but people were definitely excited to see what he could do. But with Chance and Trey Orr in the loaded guard room, probably not as much out of Trey. And then I think Broom, Broom was, the expectations for Broom were real. Like we knew what he was going to be, expecting him to be this consistent big man. And I would say out of all of them, spoiler alert, he by far delivered the most. So that was the expectation. Now I think we kind of take that pivot and see what actually happened when we got that little teaser for those three games in Israel. Obviously, game one was essentially against like a good high school team, like a right. stud AAU team. Auburn beat the brakes off of them. You played probably equivalent to like a small college team for that game two against the select team. Then, of course, you essentially played like an overseas pro team with the final game and Auburn loses that 95 to 86. So a lot of interesting takeaways from the skill set there, but it gave us some interesting statistics, which we did cover, but I think in retrospect, these are really interesting though. Okay. Well, let's dive into it a little bit. I mean, cause of course I think Auburn fans were feeling very optimistic after the Israeli trip or the trip to Israel, because even though did not win against the, the Israeli pro team, didn't get the doors blown off, right? So you're saying to yourself, against a bunch of pros, these newly cemented, not even really cemented, but just put together teammates have come in and put up a fight against a professional team. This team could make some noise this season, right? And especially considering what happened with Johan Treor during that trip, right? Like you're thinking to yourself, okay, we might have us a ball player on our hands here. Um, so just getting past Israel, not past it, but just like looking retrospectively at Israel forward to the season, uh, where, where would you kind of put the expectation for the team at that point in time? Yeah, and it's really interesting there because with Israel, as you kind of mentioned, Treor played, I think, a total between all four of those games, three of those games, 40 minutes. He had 20 points, eight points, and then 20 points again. Mm -hmm. Really good game out of him. Broom had some lot of games, like I said, Broom summer's consistent. Things that kind of got you scared a little bit. Zepp kind of doing his thing, efficient, not a high, lot of high-volume shooting. Wendell was just pumping up shots and not getting buckets, but he was really good from the free-throw line. KD was the same thing, just hawking up shots, not getting buckets. 
you saw a lot of good things out of uh, Cardwell. And then you, you could probably get a little teaser a chance. You just weren't quite sure how to feel there. So, but you're sitting back and thinking, you know what, expedition game, it is what it is. You still don't exactly know how the starting rotation lineup's going to look. I think a lot of people had some thoughts that, you know, hey, Treyor's going to be really in there for the four. And I don't, you didn't really see a ton out of Jalen to really feel like, is he going to take up this next step? And of course, Flan, <clears throat> not a whole lot of flashes out of him either. So some of the things that were kind of, I guess you said, the, the clouds, the hangovers of last season, I would definitely say did not feel better. But mm-hmm. it was a it was an exhibition game overseas. You still had some feelings to feel optimistic. You also had an exhibition game against UAH at Auburn, which those numbers honestly were not too far off from what you saw in Israel. Minus Treyor wasn't as much volume, but he was still playing around that 20-so-odd minute mark. Transitioning to the beginning of the season, though, with the first three games. And that's when you start to see the starting lineup that in the expedition game had been, you kind of shifted around, but the you, Wendell and Zepp were there. Like you always had Wendell and Zepp in the one and two worth mm-hmm. noting. Zepp is playing the two, not the one out of position for him. Still in hindsight, that seemed very puzzling of why Zepp would be playing the two and not the one at all. when that was always his position. And Zepp is going to be 26 in like three months. So like, obviously he's played that position for a long time. And then you had Treor, Cardwell Broom kind of shifting out at the five. And then uh, you had Chris Moore, who was getting um, the call there at the three. At the three. And then uh, Johan and uh, Jalen were kind of swapping out at the four. And obviously with Expedition, you're plug and play and getting guys different experiences. So not a lot to say take from that. But for game one, where, that, uh, where the shifting of starters went to, you would have Broom... Chris Moore, Jalen Williams, Wendell Green, and Zepp. And that was what Auburn went into the season starting with your with your bench minutes coming at KD with 22, Flanagan with 23, Cardwell with 15, Treor with 17. Yeah, I think it's interesting how quickly we pivoted away from Johan Treor and Dylan Cardwell with heavy minutes, so like double-digit minutes for those guys. It I I do think that Dylan Cardwell's was about something outside of basketball, um, maybe even injury related for a period of time, but he just never really got back into that double digit minute space very often throughout the season. He was just kind of, you know, I, I mean, I don't even know how many minutes he averaged on the season, but I if it was double digits, I'd be shocked. Uh, let's take a look at the numbers here. I must say, and we can pull it up so fast. Um, Dylan Cardwell, he averaged, oh, he averaged 13 and a half minutes a game. That's actually surprising for me because I didn't think he was going to be double digits. It just didn't feel like Dylan Cardwell was on the floor a lot this year. That uh, definitely was probably carried by the first early parts of the season, for sure. Because Cardwell, um, oh, hold on, let me pull up my first three game stats. I pulled up my first three SEC games. Your first three games of the season, Cardwell was playing... Well, I say that, and I lost my... Are we here? There we go. Cardwell was at 15 a minute. Game two, he was at 18. Game three, he was at 16. So, And he kind of carried that through a lot of those beginning games. And now it's interesting, though, if you see the rotations between Cardwell and Broom, in the first part of the season, those did not add up to 40. When he got through the middle 
middle of the season and so on out, it got very chalk. It was if <clears throat> if uh, Broom played 25, Cardwell is 15. I mean, it was just even bam, bam. So you can definitely see that at the beginning of the year, they were experimenting with, I'm, I'm assuming, with what would have been Treor at the five. Mm-hmm. Or potentially Jalen playing some at the five too, except I don't have the exact uh, film in front of me here to know exactly where it was. But they they were not going chalk with that and trying to experiment. Just looking at the numbers, it's somewhere in evaluation. The coaches said, "Hey, we don't like this. We're we're going chalk with our big men staying as big men unless someone's in foul trouble." Right. So you could definitely tell they were trying some different things with different personnel at the beginning of the year, which is normal. It's what you do that time of year. I think it's safe to say some of these did not pan out because, as you mentioned, two with Treor's minutes, you see a very consistent downslope, not only with minutes, but some of his production. And it's odd because, I mean, he was producing. I mean, he was getting some points and getting buckets and rebounds and things. But for his size, I will say pretty consistently, and this may have been one of the biggest detriments for him, is because, I mean, what's Treor, what clock's in it? What, like 6'10"? Johan Treor, let's take a look at him. He is a... He's listed at 16. That's correct. Right. This is a guy who had 35, 35 rebounds on the season. And his average would have been rebounds. So his rebounds for the season were 1.4. Hmm. You are 610. Even though you get in limited minutes, you gotta get more rebounds than that. So that right there was probably, if we're looking at the stat sheet, a safe point to say that that was probably where he was struggling the most initially from what would be, from what I would assume, and I think what most would probably assume would be what his expectations probably should be for what rebounds would look like. Yeah, I mean, that's that's a that's an abysmal number for a 6'10 guy. Um, he, he's, he just, he, he lacked the interior uh, just kind of instinct of where to be and when to be. He's got all the athleticism in the world, but just really wasn't in there and and knowing how to aggressively attack the boards at any point in time. Yeah, and to put that in perspective, Wendell's rebounds per game are 3.2. Right. This, this man is about nearly an entire foot taller than Wendell Green. And this is not, you know, this is an average. So, like, you know, he, he had his chances to get them, so... Trey Donaldson also had a 1.4 average. Leo Berman had 1.2. So yeah, and Trey Donaldson's probably a better comparison because they they played similar minutes. Right. You know, Trey had more minutes as the season progressed, but like early in the season, I mean, it's just it's it's you shouldn't have a situation where Trey Donaldson's rebounding as much as a 6-10-4. They their season averages for minutes were 10.6 and 9.8. So they're all within that threshold there. And that right there, I think, is going to be the the biggest circle point of what's what's going on there you are the tie for being the tallest dude on this team right so that was where i think we could see the downhill slope of trey or going and so you see that you see those the um first you see those trends the first few games of the season and then of course also in those first three games of the season you have chance chance westry playing mm-hmm. chance westry putting up fair fair numbers he missed the first two games because of that knee scope. He was back game three, right. 17 minutes, two for three from the field goal, a one for one free throw, some rebounds, some assists, you know, five points. It's like, okay, fine numbers for a, a guy that's kind of doing relief minutes here. 
And then as the season went on, it became evident that his numbers and his minutes were dropping quite drastically. So you're sloping out of Trey or you're sloping out of Chance Westry. Connecting all these dots here, you see what they were doing in Israel, see what the plan was. Obviously, Chance played a whole lot in Israel. So now you're down two guys here who you thought you were going to get more of. And it became pretty evident into December that Chance was was not recovering or the pain or the, the mental side of it, whatever it may be was not working out. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Where do we move to next with what uh, what were some of the changes we saw statistically, performance-wise, minutes-wise for some of these guys in this part of the season? Yeah, I mean, I think the big thing as we're in the first part of the season is you're going to start to see a trend in the direction of um, guys like... Apparently, there was something that happened with KD, right? And... I, I, it wasn't necessarily his minutes decrease, but his productivity absolutely did. Like he just, he wasn't even taking as many shots at one point in time. And I think it was right around the time, you know, I, I don't know if we're, we're really there yet, but I think it was right around the time of SEC play. Actually, no, it was before that. So Have you USC, started SEC play when, when USC started? I, I no, so US, USC was December 18th. Mm-hmm. And that was when KD just laid a goose egg. He was 0 for 5. He he had a Memphis. bunch of that was the game. The Memphis game, I think, was the last game we saw aggressive KD for a while. Like after the Memphis game, it was just like KD was because those two because he got benched it, one game, right? Like I forgot what game it was there. He just didn't play. Yeah, those two were back to back, and USC KD did not have did not have a fantastic game. The only points he had came from free throws, mm-hmm. but he had you know he had some assists, but that was also the game where he, I forget how, I know he had four fouls, but he got those four fouls like really fast. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it was like he was in, it was like foul, 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 foul. And so it just became obvious. And he wasn't lighting it up before. He wasn't really lighting it up too much before this. He'd have some okay games, some bad ones, because it was it was Memphis and USC and then Washington. And then after that, you just saw his points and his minutes dropped a little bit, but mostly the points. He did not score double-digit points until January 28th against West Virginia, where he got 10. But at, before that, you had 5, 2, 8, 5, 4, 4, 3, 8, 5, 6 at the U- landing back at the USC game. Also worth noting, too, I believe right before that, he had missed the Georgia State game for, we uh, don't exactly know, but Bruce Georgia said he was State. not, yeah, yeah he was not playing. So... <laughs> Potentially some disciplinary issues or this that, or another. Not going to go into speculation, the rumors, it doesn't necessarily matter, but Katie was not playing and they struggled. And Bruce even said in that post game, Hey, we miss Katie's athleticism. Cause you kind of notice like Georgia State shouldn't be kind of hitting around with this. And you're kind of looking around there and you're like, feel like Katie might be, uh, he was at the game. He was supposed to playing. Yeah. Like, would Katie make a difference here? And that was a, it, it was definitely a thing of n- noting of like, wow, it's like, 
is this team that was, I guess, when I started to sort of think like, is this team that thin to wear one guy out? Like one guy who's, you know, I guess you could kind of maybe put KD as your sixth man as far as the rotation was going. Like, are we that thin on the bench? Which I think kind of brings us to our next point here. Cause as we've said in retrospect, you lost chance. Mm-hmm. You're at this point, Treyor's minutes and production is definitely on the downhill. You were not getting as much out of him as you once thought. So then you're starting to see this pivot here. The highlights of this part of the season, though, is you're starting to see a lot more out of like Chris Moore. And mm-hmm. I think that was kind of to everybody's pleasant surprise is because a lot you know, everybody was like thinking and almost just indifferent if Chris Moore had transferred at this point in the season, or excuse me, had transferred before the season and I was pleasantly surprised at his performance at that point in the season because he wasn't getting a ton on the point standpoint. I mean, right. for if we're if we're right at the USC game, he had two games where he had double digit points. He was playing lights out on defense. He wasn't fouling a whole lot. He wasn't turning the ball over like at all. But he was getting like very high efficiency points. Yeah. Like for example, George Mason three of five. Then he went three for three, one of two, four for seven, one of two. Yeah, oh four Northwestern, one or two, three six, three and six. So point being is he wasn't taking high volume shots, but he was making what he was taking, and he wasn't turning it over, and he wasn't fouling. So he was a utter non-liability out there and i think that was like very refreshing for people to see it was like oh wow like kind of reminded me of what zep did last year and then of course i think uh you got some things to say what was going on with flanagan this time of the year yeah no flanagan was awful early season like there's just no (laughs) there's no ways about it he was awful early part of the season his uh his efficiency numbers weren't good his turnover numbers were high his um his attempts were were always pretty consistently what they were. He just wasn't making a ton of them. Uh, he wasn't shooting free throws very well. Like just Flanagan was not very good, really, for the first fourteen games of of this past season. Um, he now he he was coming off the bench, right? Because this is pre Simo getting injured. I do think a portion of his his upswing is when he started to get starting minutes, but uh, he just wasn't really comfortable in that bench role for, for this team early in the season, I don't think. Yeah, and it's interesting noting at the beginning of the season, that is when Wendell was actually really hot, because I forgot those first three games. Yeah. Wendell had 16, he had 20, and then he had another 16-point game. And so, because, you know, there's definitely some people, especially after Israel, especially after last year, who are definitely sleeping on win. And this will be kind of a big story when we kind of hit back the, uh, when we loop back, looking back, zooming out to the whole season and then looking kind of things moving forward. But the numbers kind of still continued. You had a little bit better shooting, but you definitely had him taking the most volume of shots. Mm-hmm. But, and we'll talk about this a little bit later because this was a, a big point of note. And this was a big microcosm of Wendell. He was getting a ton of points at the free throw line. He was drawing fouls, but not only was he drawing fouls, he was making buckets. And when we hit the stat at the end of the episode... It's going to be insane when we tell you what those season totals looked like for Wendell. Y'all just stay tuned for that. And that got to be what his game, and this would almost really be kind of a microcosm of his game for the entire season. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he, he definitely was a guy who who lived at the free throw line. Like as far as his ability to generate points, it was about him drawing fouls because uh, he was crafty at that. And uh and being a good free throw shooter, which we don't have very many of those on this team, uh, but he was one of them. And so him living at the free throw line kind of sustained his stat line as far as if you're looking at his points per game. Right. And I think it's worth noting, too, for this time of the year, 
<clears throat> we're in non-con. Auburn was definitely getting a lot of flack for having a weaker non-con schedule, which as the season progressed, that, did, that actually flipped the script a little bit because obviously Texan Southern makes the, ter- the tournament. Northwestern turned out to be a pretty good win. I mean, St. Louis and St. Louis was like right on the cusp. I think Bradley was as well, really close to getting there. So Memphis. Yeah, USC. Colgate and Memphis, USC. Mm-hmm. All made the so tournament, like, so yeah. Yeah, so like the non-con actually... A lot of people giving Auburn flack for that. That turned out to be a little over-exaggerated. But let's zoom into the the first loss of the season because you really didn't have any crazy blowout wins yeah. through that that you felt good about. I mean, they were just kind of weren't shooting the ball well. Like, we, right. we, we did not shoot the ball particularly well for really the first, I guess, 10 to 15 games of the year. But playing elite defense. Yeah. Let's take, let's take this to Memphis, though, and then we could jump over here to the conference play. Cause I must say your first, your first loss of the season at Memphis. And that was obviously going to be Auburn's first test. What does this team look like versus Memphis? Cause you didn't know huh? the shooting, what are they going to do? All right. We got a team that's actually kind of higher up in Kim Palm. We go to Memphis and this was one of the games, the first game where another team had just insane elite guard play and went absolutely bonkers against Auburn. Kendrick Davis dropping 27 points, 9 for 19. Dude played 38 minutes. No one could stop him. Was the absolute difference between the win and the loss of this game. Auburn's highest scorer, once again, was Wendell with 14. Same kind of deal, though, here. He was 3 for 9, 0 and 4 from 3, but made up his points with the free throws, going 8 for 9. You yeah, see some I mean, trend, that, see some trends going on here. Yeah, I, I think the the biggest thing that you take away from, or or when you start to see that trend, definitely is Memphis. In Auburn was not able to hold down elite guards. If you had an elite scoring guard, um, that spelled doom for our defense. Um, you know, you, you start to see the where you miss guys like Walker Kessler on the back end because you know you, you can take some guarded threes. Uh, but like the open threes were were a little concerning, but it was the straight line drives that were driving you crazy in that Memphis game where they were just, I mean, it was uncontested layups in the half court, in in the in the transition. We just did not have the ability to protect the rim the way that we had been the previous season. Um, and it was a highway to the to the front front of the rim for for their guards for the vast majority of that game. Right, and go to go to the USC, exact same deal. Everybody on the team kind of had a modest amount of points. You have Boogie Ellis, once again, elite guard, played 35 minutes, 28 points, 9 of 15, all over the place, torched Auburn. Yeah. And just like you said with Boogie, he was 2 of 5 from 3, so he wouldn't kill you from deep. He had 8 free throws, but he was driving down, getting the buckets under the rim. And you kind of remember what they did last year is – that they begged teams to do that, especially guards, because Walker Kessler was swatting those things down like pesky mosquitoes. Like, yeah, yeah. we dared to do that. And it almost seemed like that habit of just like, hey, I'm going to bait you to come past me to drive to the rim was almost like still ingrained with some of the guys that played last year, because that was kind of what they did is like, I'm almost going to I'm going to kind of fake guard you out here. So you make the cut to go down low. Hey, look, who, <laughs> look, who's under the goal. Good luck. Right. Broom did well, but that was not his game. I mean, Broom had only two blocks this game. And then Flanagan and KD, ironically, KD had one. He had four blocks against Memphis. So you were not stopping him when he went down there. I mean, essentially just running on a pose and they couldn't get him. And 
Also worth noting, when they were trying to get him, Broom fouled out this because USC. He fouled out with five fouls. And Bruce even mentioned this very kind of passively after the Alabama game, but it always seemed like Broom was constantly in foul trouble. Mm-hmm. But he was not shooting as much as some of the other big men. That was almost verbatim from Bruce in that Alabama postgame, the second Alabama game in Tuscaloosa. So that's, I guess you could start to see was sort of a red light for this game was like, okay, what's going on? And then I think it's safe to say Wendell had two points this USC game, and that was when he hurt his ankle. So worth noting here, he played 12 minutes. Only, only, only points he had came from the free throw line. And with him out of there, Trey Donaldson ended up getting 12 minutes, excuse me, 12 points on 16 minutes. Everybody kind of start. This is when people's ears start perking up for Trey a little bit like, oh, is he the guy? Because Chance right. Westry came in for a minute. And I think this is kind of when you really said, all right, the chance chance is not happening. Trey or at this point is at 10 minutes and that is where his downhill slope is going to get. So I really think this USC, if we're talking like turning points of the season, because we're like right on the cusp of um, the SEC play. You have what? I guess Washington before SEC play. So I really think that USC game is where you really start to see the identity shift for this team shift to what it was going to be and then go. And then from there, let's jump right into it. How does this, how does this look for SEC play to start? Yeah, I mean, it, it looks as if we are a good defensive team that had some lapses. In retrospect, we are a decent defense, d- defensive team that had a gaping hole, which is the defense of, of elite guards was not going to be a thing. It just wasn't. We weren't going to be able to stop good guard play. Um, so as we got into SEC play, Georgia happens, right? Like literally off the bat. I mean, Florida game, it wasn't as big a problem, but Georgia, is you, you saw it immediately. The guards torched us early in that Georgia game. A lot of straight line drives, a lot of, open looks that you shouldn't have been able to get against a team that really wasn't that great um, playing better than they did last year. But you saw the same deficiencies pop up. There is guard play killing you. Yeah. And in hindsight too, once again, Georgia had a guard who gets 26 points mm-hmm. plays 30 minutes and their other guard gets 17. So it's on film at this point. The Georgia game, you definitely tell Katie wanted that one. He shot one for five, so he he didn't get it back in his home, his original home arena. Treyor is down to eight minutes at this point. Chance Westry playing a minute again. The difference between the starters and the bench is becoming very, very clear, with probably the exception of kind of where Flanagan and Simo uh, were playing. That was probably the only difference to where you're kind of seeing some even minutes and probably like there was Zepp and KD. But everything else is well established. Cordwell plays eight, Broom plays 30. And I'm assuming once again they either threw Jalen or uh Treor at the five for brief moments of that game to fill that stint. And if you go back in the season, you kind of look back. I'm sure Auburn, the coaches, the players, the fans are definitely like, Yeah, that Georgia game's not one we should have let go. Cause I mean, you saw how ugly that was on Auburn's standpoint, then you saw how just absolutely Horrible, you beat the brakes off of them when you played them. But if you go back and look at Georgia's season at this point, that was kind of that little flash in the pan where Georgia was playing hot. And Georgia was actually leading. They had a little run in the SEC where I want to say they were like floating around the top four or five for like a minute around this time where people are like, oh man, Mike Weiss got Georgia turned around. And Auburn just happened to get them at the wrong place in the wrong time. Hmm. Not in hindsight what happened with Kentucky because uh, didn't, even yeah. mean to, didn't, didn't even mean <laughs> to say that. Look, it just came out. 
Um, but y'all get the joke. And then you flip with Kentucky there, and this was the time of year where Kentucky was absolutely just laying eggs, losing to South Carolina and things like that. So it's almost you think like, man, if you just swapped Georgia in Kentucky, could you have maybe sneaked one on Kentucky when they were just playing bad ball? Oh, oh no, we we we'd we'd have beaten Kentucky early in the season the way that they were playing. Mm-hmm. There's there's they I mean, she she way hadn't really rounded into form at that point in time in the season. Um some of their other like they they hadn't really figured out their guard rotation at that point in time. They weren't playing really well on defense. Uh, we'd have beaten Kentucky at that point in the season for sure. Mm-hmm. Uh, Trey Donaldson wasn't shooting great. So you're starting to kind of see this trend of Trey shooting on the road versus at home. Young player. And that's starting to make sense a little bit. And once again, you know, you're starting to see a little bit more like, oh man, is this is Flan, you know, starting to see a little bit more out of Flan. This is probably when he starts turning it up a little bit more. And then once again, Simo is just being very, very consistent, not taking a lot of high volume shots, getting some good minutes, playing good defense. Once again, the thing with Chris Moore, not turning the ball over. And that was still something that Flanagan was struggling with a little bit more was these turnovers. And then um, Wendell was also kind of having some turnover trouble around this point. And then after that, you bounce back and you go play. Uh, <clears throat> was, the, was Florida after Georgia? Is that right? Was that the uh, Florida was before skip? Georgia? Oh, yeah, you beat Florida. That's right. You played Arkansas, mm-hmm. which was an outlier of the game because you're kind of like, okay, we beat Florida pretty good. After that Georgia game, people were getting real nervous about Arkansas coming in town. Saturday yeah. game, obviously, uh, you know, Nick Smith's hurt somehow, some way. And the just, cons- in, as I always said, kind of consistently inconsistent, they just demolished this Arkansas team. Like, well, it's not even a game. Right. For I guess at the time Arkansas was ranked number thirteen, and Arkansas just did nothing, and Auburn did everything. This was another game where Wendell just went absolutely bonkers. This was Flanagan's comeback game. He got eighteen points, shot real consistent, did not really have many bad. He had one turnover. That was really it. Rebounded like a machine, and this is I think when you're really starting to see Flanagan become like a rebound machine. Yeah, no, and the, that when when I noted, um, and I'm, I'm doing something on this later, so you guys keep a lookout for this noted the the change for Alan Flanagan it was the Arkansas game where the light came on and he started really playing more like the Alan Flanagan that people hoped we would see um but never materialized last year and hadn't to that point in the season um this year yeah because he's from Arkansas isn't he like he had to had to remind him we had to remind him what they could have had so love it when that happens would wish we could have seen uh, KD do that against Georgia, but all the same, this was probably the more important win to get. Got you good, uh, got you a good quad one win when it counted, and that really helped. <laughs> really helped uh, put some weight on a Auburn resume that much later in the season would need to hold that quad one win high. Same kind of deal. You have 19 points at a window, but seven of those come from the free throw line, winning that, and then Jalen kind of doing what Simo was doing, a low percentage excuse me, a, a, a low number of, of shots, but they were high percentage, you know, well, efficient shooting. But once again, you kind of sit there. It was a win-win. You didn't need it, but you kind of at some point are looking like, why is Jalen Williams only taking four shots? Right. Bruce said he wants to build this team around Jalen Williams, and that that starts to be kind of the question you had. Wendell not catching too much flack at this point, and that will be something that will start kind of later up in the season. Katie, this is kind of in the troughs of his struggles where people are really wondering, like, 
all right, he was two for 10 for shooting. I only had four points that game. This is probably when the cloud of doubt is really shadowing over KD and saying like, all right, what, what is your role going to be on this team? The word regression was getting said around him a lot. For sure. And then from there, you have, all right, you had a bad loss against Georgia. Then you have a really good win against Arkansas. And you just sit there and you have, all right, we have no clue what to think. Right. What is this team's identity going to be? We're at the easier part of the schedule because we've got two bad Mississippi teams, a bad LSU team, a bad South Carolina team. Really can't afford to drop any of those games. And lo and behold, what does Auburn do? They beat them pretty soundedly. I say they, they win them all. Um, none of them were particularly in question. I guess the Mississippi State game was probably the only one that was a little in question through points of it. But Mississippi State, uh, again, they can't shoot anything. Um, and zero threes. They made it zero threes for the second year in a row against all yeah. no three pointers made for Mississippi State in that game. And um, and that really was their undoing. It's just their inability to actually shoot the basketball. Um, so- I'll say jumping yeah. into this game real fast. Treor, at this point, has five minutes hmm. game. But this is where you see Berman come out. Berman has 13, and I'm I'm guessing, I forgot exactly when. One of the games before this is when Chris Moore got his shoulder injured because Simo wasn't playing, and that's when you saw Lior's minutes come up. What game did he get hurt? Oh, that's a good question because he definitely played the Arkansas game because there was a big thing about him being an Arkansas guy as well. Uh, Was it Ole Miss? It had to have been Ole Miss if he didn't play Mississippi State. So in that, and the reason that, the reason I bring that up is because that's a huge milestone for this this season as well because I think a lot of people are scratching their head wondering what happened, when happened, why did it happen for the season and the year. And going here, let's look at Ole Miss, and you have Chris Moore plays three minutes. Yep, it definitely was Ole Miss, yep, because I remember he went to the locker room during that game because they were on the road. Yep. He played three minutes. He had that shoulder injury. And if we'll remember, too, against Houston, or was it against Iowa, where he just he shot? Iowa. He, it was against Iowa. Okay, I remember. It was mm-hmm. one of the two games where, I mean, you could tell – he was, I don't know how well they showed that on TV. Obviously, being at the game, you could see it real well in person. As he was under that goal, I think just kind of trying to hook a layup up there. He grabs that shoulder and it's just in agonizing pain. Yeah. And that was his main, you know, it was his primary arm. So that is worth noting because that was obvious. I mean, that's hurting him in late March. Like he was not over that injury from this game and he played through a lot. Worth noting there is Casimo, who was establishing some pretty good numbers at the, at the three very efficient numbers you go to his game log here you see what his points were doing before that Ole Miss game and then you look at him after that Ole Miss game I mean there were games after the Ole Miss games it wasn't just the points and it wasn't like it was necessarily a detriment but he wasn't even attempting to shoot I mean a lot of these games he took zero shots or one yeah so and I mean you can just see it right there on the box score for these games just he's playing out there on defense so you essentially lost Chris Moore now from any type of production outside of what he could do on defense. Now against Alabama, where he played a lot more minutes, he got up to 25. He was a monster on defense. He had a really good game against Alabama when a lot of guys were in foul, the second Alabama game, a lot of guys in foul trouble. You need to see Mo. And I think that's a very, and I'm going to go ahead and put my hot take down. I'm going to put my gavel on this one and say, this might've been one of the biggest turning points of momentum for this team for the season. Tell me if this is a hot take or not. 
but losing him from that injury and just not getting the not being able to replicate what he was able to do when he came back, I think was one of the biggest things for, cause you notice after this, I mean, great. The schedule gets a lot harder, but after that old miss game, you get to easier games. He, he yeah, definitely but, wasn't the same when he got back. And that's when Auburn started dropping a lot of those L's. So you're down mm-hmm. Treyor from just whatever was going on with him. Westry's knee, you know, beginning of the season, you had Wendell's ankle. And then um, the, I guess the knee foot problems that Denai was, having. was having. Yeah. But it seemed like they got over those for the most part. But it was that injury there from already hurting a team that, or from a team that was already hurting with bench depth, bad. And I think that's a, um, if people are wondering for a milestone, circle January 10th, Old Miss. And then obviously we'll continue on. You got Mississippi State, you beat a real bad LSU team, you beat a not great South Carolina team, and then you have your defending home streak against AM. 